this is Inosi Nyata. I am a partner at Sullivan and Cromwell, and I co-head our project finance and development group. And today we're going to talk about minerals that are key to the energy transition. And these are called critical minerals or strategic minerals and rare earths in different contexts and formulations. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I'm joined by my partner, Craig Jones, who's a partner in our London office in the Project Finance and Development Group, and Sam Saunders, a special counsel in our New York office in the Project Finance and Development Group. These minerals that are supporting the energy transition have generally traditionally not been produced in the US and Europe. And there's been a strong recognition on both sides of the Atlantic that there is a very important supply chain issue in having critical raw materials and minerals produced in the EU and in the US. These are key to clean energy, battery development, and other high-tech products. The critical minerals are generally defined to include cobalt, graphite, lithium, manganese, nickel, and rare earth minerals. And to achieve clean net zero goals and clean energy goals across the world, a significant increase in the use of these minerals is contemplated. Two acts have been passed and, or proposed in the U.S. and in the EU that we'll talk about today. In the U.S., we have the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a landmark legislation that was signed in August 2022. It provides for $369 billion of investments in energy security and climate change programs and significant tax incentives for critical minerals to be extracted, processed, and or recycled in the US or US friendly countries. In Europe, the Critical Raw Materials Act has been proposed as regulation in the EU. It was first announced in March 2023 by the European Commission. And it takes a slightly different approach that we'll discuss in incentivizing the extraction, processing, and recycling of these minerals in the EU. Currently, China dominates the extraction and processing of these minerals, and the IRA in the U.S. and Critical Raw Materials Act in the EU are intended to provide measures that could significantly change the supply chains for these minerals. So we'll start with the U.S. side. Sam, could you tell us a little bit about the IRA and what it does in this critical mineral space? Sure. Well, among other things, the IRA represents the largest investment in clean energy in U.S. history. Before we get to tax credits, I would just note that there are billions in grants and funding for loan guarantee programs that support many types of clean energy, critical minerals, and advanced manufacturing projects. And just as an example, the Department of Energy Loan Program Office has recently lent or committed to lend to several very large lithium extraction processing and recycling projects in the US. But it also includes probably most notably a lot of new and enhanced tax incentives. So the tax credits in the IRA target industries such as clean hydrogen, clean electricity, carbon capture and sequestration, clean fuels and others. And many of these credits have the ability to be direct paid or transferred by the developer, which enables them to easily monetize them if they don't have income tax. There are also tax credits that are targeted towards consumers and small businesses that seek to develop the market for clean energy, like the EV tax credits, which we'll talk about more uh, in depth, as well as things like energy efficient homes and buildings, credits for installation of solar panels. 
Thank you, Sam. Given the importance of the tax credits under the IRA structure, could you talk a little bit more about the tax provisions in the IRA as they support critical minerals? Sure. So first, there are significant incentives related to the electric vehicle market. The IRA amended and extended an existing credit under Section 30D to provide for a maximum tax credit of $7,500 per qualifying vehicle. And that $7,500 is broken into two parts. One is a $3,750 credit for vehicles meeting critical minerals requirements, and the other is for $3,750 for vehicles that meet battery component requirements. And given the expected growth in the EV market and the large size of the tax credit, this could have a significant effect on the supply chains of the critical minerals, like we've been discussing, lithium, cobalt, manganese, nickel, and others. And as we've seen with a lot of these tax credits, it's not necessarily straightforward to be able to qualify for them. And we see, and we'll see both in Europe and in the U.S., various domestic requirements that are tied into the criteria in order to qualify for these incentives. Sam, could you walk us through some of those that would be required on the U.S. side under the IRA? Sure. So to qualify for the critical mineral portion of that $7,500 credit, a percentage of the value of the critical minerals in the EV battery in that vehicle must be extracted or processed in the U.S. or a country with which the U.S. has a free trade agreement or be recycled in North America. So that percentage starts out at 40% for the year 2023, and then it steps up until it gets to 80% in 2027. So under the recent IRS guidance that just came out, a critical mineral can be counted as a qualifying critical mineral if 50% or more of the value added to that critical mineral is either extracted in the U.S. or one of those free trade countries or processed in the U.S. or one of those free trade countries or recycled in North America, which is defined as the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. This 50% test is going to be in effect for the next couple of years, 2023 and 2024. After that, the Treasury Department and the IRS are expecting to move towards a more stringent test that will require more extraction and processing in the U.S. or one of the free trade countries. So a free trade country includes countries that the U.S. currently has a free trade agreement with, in effect, that I won't read the whole list, but it's like Australia, Canada, a number of Latin American countries, Korea. And it also uh, may include other countries that the Treasury Secretary designates from time to time. And those notably could include Japan and the EU, which are under negotiations to be added to that list. It does get a little complicated, the 50% test, if you have multiple procurement chains. So if you're extracting lithium and then that lithium is processed in two different processing facilities in two different countries, then you'll have to look at each chain to determine if you've met that 50% test. One really important detail is that starting in 2025, the tax credit will exclude vehicles that have batteries with critical minerals extracted, processed, or recycled by a foreign entity of concern. And there's more guidance that's going to be coming on what exactly is a foreign entity of concern, but from the IRA statute itself, it's defined as an entity that is owned by, controlled by, 
were subject to the jurisdiction or direction of the Chinese government. So the last thing I would flag is, in addition to the EV tax credit we're talking about, there's an, another tax credit that's relevant to critical minerals, which is the Advanced Manufacturing Production Credit. And that's a tax credit for U.S. processing and production of critical minerals. You get a 10% credit on the cost of the production of those critical minerals. And that credit also can be sold for cash by the manufacturer. So that's a nice credit for U.S. manufacturers of critical minerals. Craig, let's turn to Europe now. As we've seen with the IRA, a lot of the tools there that have been used have been linked to tax incentives and flexibility on using those tax incentives. Europe is a little bit different, given that we don't have one jurisdiction that can provide tax benefits or credits. Tell us a little bit about how this critical mineral issue is being thought of and dealt with in the EU. Sure, Nosi. The first point to make is that unlike the IRA, the European Act does not itself provide for any new financing or financial incentives. Instead, it aims to set targets and improve procedures for developments in this area. Also, unlike the IRA, the Act draws a distinction between critical and strategic raw materials, with strategic materials being a subset of the longer list of critical materials. Craig, could you describe what the Critical Raw Materials Act is intended to cover and some of the important qualifying criteria that it sets out? Yeah, the Act includes a number of, of key provisions. First, it imposes requirements such as monitoring, auditing and reporting obligations in relation to the supply of critical raw materials. These requirements apply to EU member states, large EU companies and suppliers into the EU market, as well as other key stakeholders. For example, a supplier of critical raw materials into the EU will need to publish an environmental footprint declaration on its website, which will categorize its products according to certain environmental performance classes. Second, the Act proposes new EU-wide targets for the EU's annual consumption of strategic raw materials, namely that at least 10% should be extracted from EU extraction capacity, at least 40% processed from EU processing capacity, and at least 15% to be recycled from EU recycling capacity. And in addition, the EU is aiming to import no more than 65% of its strategic raw materials from any single third country. And the third point to raise is that the Act provides special benefits to projects marked out as strategic by virtue of their involvement in the supply of strategic raw materials. And as mentioned, these benefits are primarily procedural rather than financial, and that has led to criticism of the Act from various stakeholders and market participants in Europe. So from a project developer perspective, it looks like the benefits related to these strategic projects would be of key focus. Can you tell us a little bit about how projects qualify to be strategic projects and how they're treated under the Act once they meet those qualifications? Yeah, strategic projects are projects involved in the extraction processing, refining, and recycling of at least one of the listed strategic raw materials. Projects that qualify as strategic projects under the Act benefit from streamlined permitting and certain other procedural advantages. So first, strategic projects would benefit from streamlined permitting procedures through the creation of a one-stop shop national authority 
in each member state. There will be stricter timelines for granting permits on the national authorities. So a maximum of 24 months for projects involving extractions and 12 months for projects involving processing or recycling. And those timelines can be even shorter for projects that are already under appraisal. 21 months for extraction and nine months for processing or recycling. Secondly, so-called strategic projects are entitled to advisory support from a new European Critical Raw Materials Board. And that advice relates to how to access financing from a range of public and private sources, including EIB and EBRD. But again, it's important to note that the measures proposed under the Act merely aim to coordinate existing financing mechanisms and don't involve any new financing sources. And thirdly, in terms of procedural advantages, the strategic projects are also to be afforded priority status by EU member states, although it remains to be seen both as a matter of national law and in practice what this will mean once the European Act has eventually been adopted and implemented. It's also worth noting that to qualify as a strategic project, a project must meet certain qualitative criteria, such as making a meaningful contribution to the EU's supply of strategic raw materials, it must be technically feasible within a reasonable time frame, and being implemented sustainably. All of these factors, which are explained in more detail in the Act, need to be evidenced by business plans, timetables, and other relevant documentation. Finally, in terms of location, while it's anticipated that most strategic projects will be located in the EU, a project that is located in a third country may apply for strategic project status if it meets certain additional criteria. So, for example, a third country project would need to demonstrate a mutual benefit between the EU and that third country. It would need to align with the EU's foreign policy objectives and it would need to obtain explicit approval from the government of the relevant third country. Thanks, Craig. Tell us a little bit about the UK. Are they also on board with all these initiatives or are they taking a different path? Yes, now that the UK is outside the EU, it, it has to do things its own way. The UK government has published a critical mineral strategy in which it announced very limited funding, like £15 million, for recycling critical minerals, R&D investments, and engagement with international partners. The strategy essentially includes supporting research and development of new extraction technologies, improving the regulatory framework for mining, and working with international partners to secure domestic supply chains. However, unlike in the US or in the EU, the UK has not proposed any new procedural privileges or tax incentives. That's all really interesting. And just to summarize some of the takeaways that I've heard from this discussion, it sounds like the Critical Raw Materials Act um, takes a more aspirational approach. It creates the European Critical Raw Materials Board that oversees the supervision and coordination of strategic projects, as we've discussed. It monitors the supply of critical raw materials into the EU and creates EU-wide targets for annual consumption of these raw materials. It also attempts to address permitting delays for these projects, but doesn't provide additional funding and can't structurally provide tax incentives, which creates some limitations. The IRA, in contrast, provides very strong tax incentives with the expectation that these will drive critical mineral extraction, processing and recycling in the U.S. and other friendly nations. On the other hand, 
the IRA does not address permitting reform and permitting delays, which could be an issue in developing these projects, which are you know, heavy, heavy industry and mining projects in the U.S. I note that the list of critical minerals is largely the same under the two sets of legislation, but there are some slight differences based on different geographies, economies, and contexts. For example, the IRA considers aluminum, cesium, and tin as critical, whereas the CRMA considers critical bauxite, boron, and helium as critical. Craig, what are the implications of the CRMA and the IRA for companies that are in the value chain? Well, I'll, I'll deal with the CRMA and then Sam can do with the IRA. So uh, as far as the European Act is concerned, it could still be amended as it goes through the review and approval process in the European Parliament and the Council. So it's difficult to be definitive at this point. And in addition, we will have to see if individual EU member states come forward with funding incentives within the confines of the EU state aid rules to help new critical mineral projects come to fruition in the EU. And finally, while permitting reform is helpful in principle, it can be hard to implement in practice across 27 different member states. Yeah, and on the IRA side, we are certainly seeing a lot of interest from miners and vehicle manufacturers and everybody up and down the value chain on the IRA provisions and how they could impact offtake and supply agreements. And there's you know a lot of negotiations going on right now on that. While the Chinese market for critical mineral processing and battery components is certainly not going to go anywhere anytime soon, the IRA is definitely seen as a very positive step in the industry and expected to have a very significant impact. One thing that is still very critical to understand is the foreign entity of concern restriction I mentioned previously, which is really aimed at China, and we're waiting for further IRS guidance on that. Thank you, Sam and Craig. This is clearly an area that will have a lot of developments going forward. So thank you all for listening to SNC Critical Insights. We look forward to providing more information on this topic and others in the energy transition space as they develop. For more detail on the topics we've discussed today and that we have provided materials on, please visit our website at www.salcrom.com. Mm-hmm.